I grew up in a time that's a lot different. I look out there and I see y'all with these little babies and stuff, and I, I really feel sorry for you. <laughs> Robert, you got these precious little girls, and I, the day's going to come when some not hitty boys going to come knocking on your door. <laughs> All I can say is uh, get a hold of them quickly. When they're young, the thing they've got to know is they're scared to death of you. And the earlier you begin to make them afraid of you, the better off you'll be. Because we've talked about this here at the church that Maybe even we have to start sitting them down and training some of our boys how to treat a girl on a date. Amen. How to actually hold the door open for them. Amen. Or hold their hand and let them come across. Okay, I've been married for 44 years. And I still open the door for my wife. And I hold her hand when we walk across the street. Because she might She's my bride. And that's the way you need to do it. Just, just getting out there and walking about 20 feet in front of your wife and stuff. Like, where'd you run that? <laughs> Boys pulling up. That's one thing I wouldn't let them do. I never let anybody pull up and blow the horn and expect my girls to go out there. If somebody was going to go out there, it was going to be dead. <laughs> you, you were going to meet me whether you wanted to or not. But you know, we don't know how to, to be dead. We're, we're kind of thrust into that all of a sudden. At least I thought I didn't know how to be a dad. But then I woke up one day and I realized I watched my dad be a dad. I've watched some other dads be a dad. But we got one other opportunity to learn how to be a good dad. Turn with me to Psalm 139. A man named David wrote some scriptures down about some things he had learned about his heavenly father that I think would just help us all if we would learn that. And it would help you be a good dad. It'll help you make a difference in these children's lives. It'll help you rise them up and do things with them and hold them and come and protect them, folks. Protect them to do that. Psalm 139, we're going to begin in verse 1. You're going to put that up on the You're waiting on the verse. Well. <laughs> 139, verses 1. We're going to begin there. We're going to go through verse uh, uh, 16, probably. But I want to read a couple, and then we'll talk about it a bit. David Rice said, Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me, and know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it. You know it all. But think about that right now. What, what David is writing is that God knows everything about you. He is that personal. He's not some God far off that you can't touch. He's not some God 
waiting to bring harm to you. He's a God that knows you personally. He knows the words you're going to say before you say it. And if you begin to grasp that, you'll begin to realize, maybe I need to guard what I say. Amen. Maybe I ought to guard what I do and what I think. Because God's going to already know it before I say it. And as a father, you'll learn that there's nobody else watching you. And it'll be these little children. Because whatever they see that adult doing, they're going to grab hold of it. They don't know any better. Two or three year old, whatever you do, they're going to think it's all right because you do it. They're mimicking you. And so if you use a lot of languages, you may call it colorful. I call it gross. The words being put out there all the time that respectful people are not ever say, especially in public. And yet, I hear men and women using this, and they're surrounded by some young children. And then one of them, one day, up spouts some of those words off, and, oh, you hush, you don't say that. Well, they wouldn't if they had not heard it. <laughs> but they're going to repeat what they hear. They're going to repeat what they see. But you need to realize in your life, God's already knowing what's going on in your life. And that's why he gives us his word to change us and to bring us into a place where we can be a good day. We can be a good man. We can be a good part of the community. We can be somebody to be proud of. Casey, give me a bottle of water, please. And this is going to be one of them right there that's going to something stuck right there in my throat. <clears throat> but anyway, he talks about you scrutinize my path and my lying down and intimately acquainted with all my ways. Thank you, sir. It'll get better soon as I wear this thing down. I may be able to get you preaching here in a minute. Scrutinize, what does that mean? Scrutinize. It means it's examined and it's determined. It. So when you hear that little voice in the back of your mind that begins to tell you to change some ways, to change some things that you're doing, that's the Spirit of God beginning to speak to you about what you're doing. It's not culture, folks. It's God. You need to realize culture can lead you anyway. It is crazy anyway. But God's going to always trying to lead his children on a path of righteousness, on a path that brings glory to him. Because just like I told you, I, I, I wanted to do things that were pleasing to my father not to tear down his good name. It's the same way today. I don't want to tear down my heavenly father's good name. I don't want to present something and tell people I'm a Christian, I'm a preacher, and then go out and do all these different things because they'll look at him and say, huh, you're no different. Well, I'm not, except I'm saved by grace, but I want you to know my Father, who is perfect. I want you to walk with Him. I want you to see Him for who He is. I want you to see Him that He can take somebody like me, a wretched sinner, and turn me around. He can take somebody that was uneducated and educate Him. 
He can take someone that knew nothing about the Bible and teach him the Bible. He can take somebody that was fearful of standing up in front of people and let me stand up there and proclaim the truth because that's the God I serve. He's a God that loved me in spite of me. And I want to keep his good name in front of people. They can see my faults. That's all right. And I'll tell them, I'm a sinner saved by grace, but my Father is righteous. My Father is righteous. And when I mess up, it's my fault. It's not His. And I'm going to try to live for Him, just like I did my earthly father. But he goes on down, and we drop on down to verse 7. and says, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Back right back up there. Where can I go to get from away from your spirit? You tell me a place you can hide to be away from God. There's no place. I remember hearing a story about a man. His wife was always on him to get saved. He just wouldn't do it. He said, you need to get saved. The preacher would come over and visit with him and tell him he needs to get saved. He had some friends there, so he decided he'd just go join the military. He said, I'll just get away from all of them. Join the military. The two best people in his life telling him how he needed to get saved. He got out of the military and went to a job and said, man, I just got to get away from this. Everywhere I turn, God's with me. His boss went to talking to him about how great God was and how wonderful it is to be saved and have a right relationship with God. He said, finally, he came to his senses. He looked up and he said, God, where can I go to get away from you? <laughs> Nowhere. Because wherever you go, he is there. And when he goes to speak it to you, no matter how fast you run or how far you run, he'll be right in front of you because he wants you to come back home. Amen. He wants you to come back to him and have that relationship. And there will be a day when you do, you'll look back and you'll thank him that he didn't forsake you. I was nearly 25 years old when I got saved. I wouldn't have survived several car wrecks. Went to a couple of barbed wire fences, came within a quarter inch of cutting a jugular vein one time. And Dr. Lee said, a quarter inch, Mr. Higgins, would have killed your son. Quarter inch. He would have bled to death in two minutes. When I finally got saved, I began to look back on my life and think about the time that I flipped a boat and almost drowned the Sulphur River. The car wreck I was in when Vester Cobb died. And all those other times I said, God, why didn't you take me here? Why am I still alive? It's because your grace was upon me when I was in my ignorance. And I thank God every day since then that he was able to take me and use me and do something with me because he was everywhere I was. 
Well, I should have died. It must have had a wide open. But praise God, I didn't. And that's what David had learned. No matter where he was at, God was with him. No matter what was confronting him, God was with him. So once you become a Christian, you're not running from God. He's not always there. I mean, you don't have to worry about running and hiding from him. Then he's walking with you every day. So once you get saved, you begin to go through life's journey, and you're face to face with a problem, and you're you're walking with you can know he's right there with you, watching over you. And he's got a shield to protect you. So nothing can happen to you that he's not already taken care of. Well, preacher, what if they kill me? Well, if you're born again and they kill you, guess what? You get to go be with him. He already took care of that. So what can they take away from you? Nothing. Nothing. They take away a life. Jesus told his disciples, he said, don't fear the ones that can take your life. Fear the ones that can take your life and your soul. And if you'll respect God and love God and give your life to him, he'll carry you through all these situations. And I'll tell you something. When you walk with him and you do that, where you go is going to be so much better than this place. You're going to wonder why you didn't leave earlier. It's not a blessing to wake up every day and be in this earth, folks. The blessing is to wake up one day to be in the presence of God. And that's going to be so much better. But while we are here on this earth, we're to live it to our fullest, telling people about Him, presenting a picture to Him, growing to, to where we know Him, and making a difference in His children's lives. That's why you're a father. You're not only a father to your children. You're not only a father to these children. You're, you're going to be a father to some of their friends. Some of you are going to be leaders in the community. You're going to coach baseball or football or some sports activity. Or you're going to used to be the old Boy Scouts. I don't know if I'd recommend that anymore. But, but I have been a, a scout leader and we would take you forest camping and you try to get the dads to go with you, and they go, oh, we're too busy. We got to work. No, you just got to get away. And we take 10 or 12, 15 of these boys out there, and we teach them how to build fires, teach them how to cook, and we teach them one time. And you can't ever agree with it. We show them how to cook on a Dutch oven and fire one time. From that point on, you're on your own. <laughs> and you will learn if we don't do it for you. We didn't have tar uh, tents, we had tarps because that's all we could afford. A tent cost $150. We'd go buy a $20 tarp and say, boys, this is where you can. If it's raining, pull the sides down. <laughs> if it's hot, raise them up. Slowly. They learned a lot. Went to camp one year and we all drug out all big old great tarps and everybody was laughing about that old poor country. Boy Scout group, and it went to raining. We're sitting around under chairs, under a tarp, the boys all dry and doing well. The other scouts were loading up their sleeping bags and pillows and they up going into town, put them in a dryer to dry them out because the tents had been flooded. You see, we've become dads to some boys that weren't us. Michael's not here right now. I've got some that's in here for the record that I 
had it for scouts. Because I had to be, a, and I was with Michael's dad. We were dads to And you're going to be that kind of father. Because God's going to put you in a place to make a difference. You may be a teacher. You may be working with a teacher at school. And you're going to be working with a child that has no father. You're going to be asked to take that role and help. Could be a youth director. Mike raised one daughter, but he's raising about 20 other kids right now. You got to help them. Why? Because they do it. Some of you are going to help with VBS or get out here and help in the arena sometimes. You're going to be a father to some because their dad's not there. So embrace that and say, here I am, God, use me. And make me a father that somebody can be proud of them. They're going to hold on to you and come to you when they're in trouble. Because they need a father. They need a grandpa. They need somebody to love them. And God's got you right there in that place. But I say it all this to bring us to this point. Verses 13, 14, and 15. Because God, uh, David looked at God and he wrote these words. He said, When you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb, and I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame and my bones were not hidden from you. And when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, your eyes have seen my unborn substance. And in your book were all written the days that you ordained for me, when I as yet there was not one of them. So before he came, his days were laid out. There's a big debate in this nation today about what and when life begins. What did David just tell us? Before he was born. Just like Jeremiah, before you were born into your mother's womb, I knew you, Jeremiah. David is at that same place. You formed me, God. Before I knew anything, you formed me. You had already begun to lay out my days begin to lay out the path of my life before I ever drew a breath. Folks, one of the greatest miracles of life is birth. For a man and woman to come together and give life is the most wonderful thing there is. Now I know there's some headaches in it. I raised three. There's some troubled nights and there's some troubled days. There's some hard times. But you know what? When you grow up, they grow up, you've done a good job and you begin to see them go out on their own, you'll have a lot of pride in good work. You'll forget a lot of pain. You'll forget a lot of misery. And then they're going to come home one day and tell you you're going to be a grandpa. 
Oh, Grandma is way better than being a dad. I promise you. If I'd known it was so good, I would have done it first. Who would you send them home to when you were born? That's the only thing about it. But the granddads had the privilege of 20, 25, 30 years of experience of being a dad before they could be a real good granddad. You also got some authority over your children, so when you want to give them a popsicle or a Coke or a candy bar, and the, and, the, and the mom and dad said, no, no, no. I said, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'll pay you back. <laughs> My wife has got a sign in there, and it says that grandma's we can't. And that's a pretty open-ended statement. Because all they got to do is look at grandma and say, and she'll say, okay. say, this child should live and this shouldn't. You realize the very people that's protesting for the right to make that choice are doing contrary to what their mother did? <laughs> because their mothers chose life when they were going to choose death. And it's a slap in the face of God for us not to love ourselves and to love the children that we make. Amen. But you've got to learn to love yourself, friend. You've got to realize you're special. Dads, God gave you some gifts that he gave no one else. He gave you the gift to be a spiritual leader in your family. Amen. He gave you some sense to do some things. So you need to get up off your dove and get to doing it. And get into his word. Too many times, Dad said there, won't you take them kids to church and I'll stay here and watch football. And then when those kids get about 14, 15 years old and drive them crazy, you're wondering why. Well, you have a lot to do with that. Because if you got up off your rear end and carry those kids to church, it may have turned out a little bit different. But you're the responsible one. I'm going to hold you dads accountable for that. But he said you're to be the spiritual leader. The ladies, he gave them a whole different set of characteristics. They're nurturers and caretakers and, and givers and they're patient and loving. But dads, you've got a responsibility to provide for your family. Quit bumming off your wife. 
couch that made me sit up and I sleep on it all the time. Well, I'm going to really get to meddling right now. I don't know if any of y'all do this. But I'm hearing more and more dads who sit around and play games all the time. You know, those are good games, don't you? But if that's all you can do is play some video game with somebody you can't even see, you're missing the best opportunity to do Get out there on the floor and play with your kids with everything. Help them build something with tinker toys or or logs or, or whatever. We, I get out there on the floor with grand boys and we put a barn together and we got horses and cows and, and stuff and then he tears it all up so we can do it all. <laughs> but spend time with them. You don't need all this other time fellowship with all these other guys. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of it, but you don't have to spend all day. Don't neglect the most precious gift you have. It's your children. Right. Amen. But remember, somebody's going to have to take care of you one day. When you get old and decrepit. Somebody's going to have to feed you. Roll your around. Bomb word right now, aren't you, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> I see that word looking at you. You're going to take care of him, Lord. No matter what he did. Well, let Brody take care of you. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't have a good dad, won't you start a new trend? You'd be a good dad. Amen. Well, now, what do you want, short thing?
because they are also wonderfully made. And they will be a little you when they grow up. Or they'll be a little somebody else. But if you're not in the picture, they may take after somebody else. That may be good or bad, depending on who they look to. But God gave you an opportunity to be a good dad. We're here as a church to help you do that. We try to have things for kids. We try to have things for adults. We try to provide for all the needs, from the spiritual to the physical. We try to give you the opportunity to have family time. And people ask me, why don't you have church on Sunday night? I want you to spend time with your family. Now, you know, you might choose not to. But that's one decision we made a long time ago. There's a time that you need to spend with your family because you have to go to work. You have to do certain things. But Sunday should be a day that you spend worshiping your father and spend time with your kids. And we'll do some things on Sunday after we're going to be in fellowship to enhance that. One day some preacher or somebody asked some of your children or grandchildren what it is that they remember about you. What do you want them to say? I don't remember much about my dad. He was gone. My dad was passed out on the couch, and I just said, not remember him. Well, my dad was there with me. You know, Donnie said something about you, Jesse. You worked a lot, but you found some time. We've all had to work a lot. Find some time. But that's your choice. Your choice. I'm blessed to know a lot of you. I knew a lot of your dads. Some of them passed on, some of them still here. Now I'm proud to have you as friends because I see you mimicking some of the things that they're doing. Well, I can let you out early right now. I can just keep you here with some dead air. <laughs> if you'll search this book, you'll find a lot of answers to your questions. You can learn how to be a good dad. You can learn how to be a good mom. You can teach the children how to be good kids. And, you, and this little word of advice, if you want to you want to train a kid up right so he turns out to be a pretty good 15, 16 year old? You start even before they probably baby age. You get them in church and you love them and you care for them and you instill a little fear into them. <coughs> Teach them the Word of God. Because when I watch these dad and mom bring these kids up here, I said, that kid's got a chance. No matter what's going on, that kid's got a good chance. Amen. And it's better than a 50-50 chance. Because you're instilling God's word in You're showing them I'm willing to be there. And I'm having a point. Huh? My daughters, they, they read scripture of the babies before they, before they were still in the mother's world. Amen. Oh, they couldn't hear. Yeah, they could. Yeah, they could. 
they learn to hear and recognize mom and dad's voice when they're still in mama form. Yeah. Because they hear that. And that's how they identify. And I see it in the animal world. Yeah. You can see it with a horse, a cow, or a dog, or whatever. A baby will always know mama's voice. When they cry out for me, they will respond. It's because they've identified that voice in the same way with these babies. And you're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's the scripture that jumped out. As I thought about fatherhood. I thought about my heavenly father. And all that I can do for him. Alright? I'm going to pray and let y'all go. And I thank you for coming. If you want to know more about this church, we've got some yellow flowers over here and some Bibles and stuff. You can read about it. You can take one of these New Testaments with you. Uh, but we'd love to have you. We'd love to get to know you. If you're new to the community, welcome. It's a great little town. We just soon keep it quiet. We don't want too many folks moving in. Uh, <laughs> every time I go to the city, I think somebody will let beans and look what it turned into. Uh, it's a great place to raise your kids. Father, we thank you for loving us and caring for us. Thank you for blessing us. I thank you for the fathers that are here today. Those that brought their little children especially. Those that got their, their kids up and said we're going. It's not an option. <coughs> they provide leadership. Thank you for the the love they're sharing with those, and I pray that you continue to guide and direct them. Encourage them. Give them that wisdom they need to make all those tough decisions. But mainly, let them show the love that they need to those kids to provide that stability. Thank you that you've laid it out for us, you've shown us, given us your word, you've given us an example. Now take us and use us. And I pray that you really bless our, our VBS coming up, that we'll be able to impact children from all across this community as they come in and be a part. Let's get all in Jesus' name. God be your Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.